Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. From the Fifth Quarter Studios in Madison, Wisconsin, you're listening to Coach Unplugged. And now, your host, Steve Collins. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome to Coach Unplugged. So excited you decided to join us today. Um, Before we jump in and um, talk about uh, the topic today, I'll get it out. Um, I'm not, I'm leaving that in. Uh, I'd like to give a big shout out to our two sponsors. First of all, Dr. Dish, the number one shoe machine on the market, bar none. Uh, they are awesome. They rock. Uh, mention Coach Unplugged, they'll give you $350 off. Also, go over and check out teachhoops.com for coaches who want to get better. We have uh, a special, quote unquote, special going on right now where we're giving quarterly memberships. We're su- super excited about that. People seem excited about it. Um, and then that maybe maybe come in and join for three months and take a couple of months off. I personally would never leave teachhoops.com, but you have that option and uh, it's great. So go over and check it out, teachhoops.com for coaches who want to get better. Let's head off to the podcast. I, I, you and I were talking about this earlier before we came on about like life learners and stuff. The reason I started the podcast was I wanted to learn. Um, I wanted to become uh, better at not only becoming a coach and a dad and a parent and all those things, Wanted to be a little bit better at everything that I was doing. So um, uh, we're going to just jump in here. George George Selleck is, uh, I, I won't even go through your resume because it's unbelievable, but I'm going to have you kind of introduce yourself, kind of tell our audience a little bit about you and a little bit about your origin story um, as they are, as most people either listen to podcasts, they're either commuting or they're jogging or they're doing something or mowing the lawn or things like that. So um, as they're doing that, just a little bit about yourself, um, and, a, and, and then we'll dive into one of the reasons we're here. We'll talk about the book, which I think is really cool. Um, not a grandfather yet, so I can't write this book yet, but uh, <laughs> I think it's a great book. So, George, I'm going to turn it over to you and just kind of tell, tell our audience a little bit about you. That's kind of hard. We're 87 years old. <laughs> oh, my dad's 87. I can get my dad to summarize. My dad's 87. He can summarize it in five minutes, probably. Okay. Come on. I know you. Well, know. I, <laughs> I grew up in Compton, California. Okay. Uh, 
and uh, took the Greenleaf uh, bus uh, three to four times a week to the Long Beach YMCA, where initially uh, we were told to take a tumbling class, which I totally could not do. And so I wandered off to the basketball court, uh, maybe in the third or fourth grade. Right. And, uh, and that was sort of the, the start of my journey. I was a twin. Uh, okay. my, my twin brother uh, passed away about 30 years ago, never finished high school. And so as someone who had 12 years of college and four degrees, right. um, it was a difficult journey because I always felt guilty any, every time I succeeded in anything. Yeah. And in those days, they didn't separate twins. So I can remember in the third grade, two lines for a spelling bee, trying to figure out how to misspell the word so the teacher wouldn't know it. So I would sit down before my brother. So, so, so 87 means you were how old during World War II? You were, um, do my math, you were elementary school age? Yeah, exactly. Do you remember fact, that? Do you remember fact, that era? I remember very well when the loudspeaker announced the uh, uh, death, sudden death of Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, as a, Jewish young man right. um, um, with living in a period of great anti-Semitism, right. being perhaps the only Jewish family in Compton. Um, my folks had gotten through across to me that if it weren't for Roosevelt, we wouldn't be around. Right. Um, I jumped up out of my chair with that announcement and ran three miles home without stopping. Um, so impactful. It was impactful. Very impactful, yeah. Yeah, my dad remembers. My dad um, is the same age, actually. That's why I knew. And uh, his dad ran a general store in a small town, very small town in Wisconsin, and remembers the ration cards and remembers, you know, picking stuff for the life vests, like poppies. That's uh, not poppies, but anyway, something for the for the life vests and all that kind of stuff. It's amazing how those like those imprint in your brain. Those little those little things imprint. Um, and make you who you are, I think, in a lot of respects. Well, I think it's a struggle for perhaps almost every human being to, to understand and, and uh, to come to terms with who they are. Right. Um, and it, um, I leaped ahead to what do I want to do with my life? Because the emphasis was on, you know, uh, how are you going to succeed in life and right. how are you going to be accepted? when I should have taken more time to figure out who I was. So who I was could more informed what I chose to do. So I, I know, pretty, I know, but I think clear. you grew up in a, you grew up in a different generation and even I grew up in a different generation. I'm, I'll be 55. I, I, I think this generation I tell, and I teach seniors in high school, I teach them AP statistics and stuff. And I always tell them you're in a different world you're in a more global world. I said, use your twenties to figure out what you want to do with your life. You know, that's your, your twenties are your time to figure out. Like we had to go, you, you, you went, you, we had to go get a job. Like there's, there's ways around that now where you can live on a friend's couch and you can like, there's, it's, 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 it's a little different. I think our generations were, your generation was definitely different than my generation, but, um, yeah, I think that's an interesting, I think that's an interesting quandary. So well, let me mention I, one thing that's really yeah. significant about the 50s. Um, in that day and age, the culture laid out values that were very instrumental and important. 
to our development. So if you came from a dysfunctional family like I did, right. um, where you weren't getting what you needed right. uh, to the kind of values and perspective on things, there was too much anxiety and too much worry. Right. Um, but in the, in the 50s, it was there. Now, today, I don't think the culture is providing a set of values that can bring us together and make us good teammates, which right. we need to be. Right. I mean, one more two, we learn to live with each other and work with each other. Right. It's the we greater than me kind of yes. inequality that from the math teacher again. It's the we greater than me. It's the like this is the sacrifice. Yes. It's but that's you grew up in the great generation. You grew up in the, you know, like it, the sacrifice. It's like the sacrifices that, that people had to make. Like I was talking about the ration cards. You like you didn't weren't driving around. You had we were rationing gas. It's like things were happening um, because it was more important for us than than an individual. So okay, so what happened after high school? Well, I uh, all my life. Uh, it's funny. One of my teammates, my, my high school basketball team, um, was thirty two and zero. Ooh, and uh, <laughs> we beat we beat uh, Al. Um, uh, in my junior year, we won the CIF championship in Southern California, which was every school from San Diego to Santa Barbara. Okay. But I only played one game in my junior year. So when you think about it, it's the most amazing story in my life. But I've just now started to realize I became the CIF player of the year, California Scholastic Federation player of the year, and only played one full year of high school basketball. And one game prior to that, we Compton was a 6-4-4 system, six years of elementary school, four years of junior high school. Oh, interesting. So the, so the ninth and 10th grade was a very competitive thing. Right. Our championship football game, where I was a wide receiver, uh, a lonesome in long before Army ever did it, right. uh, in the single wing, um, right. uh, attracted 3,000 people. I know. And then the basketball season happened and one of the opposing coaches said, whenever Selig drives toward the bucket, I want him on the ground. It's like a Hoosier. It's like a Hoosier moment. Yes. <laughs> so that, that, that necessitated five operations where I lost my kneecap, which Ooh. if you talk to our, your parents would have told you when you lost your kneecap, you would never uh, be able to have anything but a stiff knee the rest of your life. So after seven doctors in LA uh, told me, forget it, because they weren't very sophisticated in the early 50s about knee injuries, Right. Um, my godfather had been head of US Army orthopedic surgeons in World War II, and he had learned from a Swedish doctor how to remove shrapnel from the knee and give you and lose your kneecap and still give you mobility. So it became the first operation of that kind in America. Okay. Well, I came back after Christmas to, to the, um, uh, well, actually, there's a story here. I, I, I made the first team as, as a junior. That was the first year of high school. Two right. years with a high school on the campus with the community college, Compton Junior College. That was the 644. Yep. And I made the first team, but uh, we're warming up for first game, team game. My knee locked. I couldn't bend it. So I ended up after these doctors told me to forget it in LA, going to San Francisco. My godfather was head of orthopedic services, World War II, as I said, and a Swedish doctor talked to him. So when I returned after the surgery over Christmas, the coach said, 
I want, what's your free period? Like a college, we had a free period. Right. I said, third period. He said, I'll have a ball boy go to the gym. So we go through the entire season. Um, I have two braces, one on each leg. The um, Compton, uh, uh, we make the playoffs at the, the last league game. The coach tells me to suit up and I say, coach, I, I can't run. When the coach tells you to suit up, you suit up. So I suit up for the last league game. With 15 seconds to go, he calls time. He says, go in and stand by the scorer's bench. So I go stand by the scorer's bench. And now I'm eligible for the CIF playoffs. Go through the first two weeks and we're gonna play Alhambra, which had two kids who started next year. Chuck Riley at USC as a freshman and Ron Bain at UCLA as a freshman. They were 32 and 0, and we were 25 and 8. On Monday, the coach says to me, George, you're with the first team. I could not run. I played the entire game. I don't know if I took a shot. I don't know if my man made 25 points or not. <laughs> I don't remember anything about it, but we beat Alhambra that night. And so the next night, he doesn't need me against Pasadena High School. And in the last three uh, minutes of the game, he puts me in the game. I don't play until the last three minutes, plays all the seniors. And, and I hit a couple shots and he walks up to me and says, well, next year you'll be the outstanding basketball player in the state of California. Now, this is a pretty unbelievable story, but that's a, a, kind of what my life has been. I'm not very aware and, and don't, well, sometimes it's just still about don't have a lot of answers. <laughs> Just putting your head down too. So, okay. So what happened after high school? So let's move on after high school. I went, I went to Stanford. Okay. And, um, uh, became involved at my senior year prior to my senior year in the Christian community and in my internal search for a family. And since I was such a perfectionist, if I was going to be a member of the Christian community, I had to be a pastor. So after uh, getting a master's degree at Stanford and um, coaching the freshman basketball team, I headed to Princeton Theological Seminary. And uh, once I got that degree, um, everybody was talking about going to the most strategic places in the world. And I was kind of the rebellion. I went to the least strategic place in the world. I went to rural New Mexico and the 5,000 feet up in reserve New Mexico and had five little churches, uh, four on Sunday and one on Monday night. And, uh, and then later I went to the inner city in Los Angeles, in Bell Gardens, and worked as a director of social work there along with pastoring a small church and started working on my doctorate degree. Okay. And ultimately got my degree in counseling psychology and spent uh, 30 years as a counseling psychologist and started consulting with midsize and small companies. So I had a, I've had a very, very varied uh, career and I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. <laughs> okay, so let's, let's talk about how did the book come about and where was the, I mean, how did, it, how did it come about? So tell the people, first of all, tell the people about the book and then tell how it came about because it's, it's very intriguing to me. Um, well, well um, I, um, my wife, um, had two children, uh, a, a, a girl and a boy. And I helped walk, I, uh, 
the daughter down the aisle with her father. And then I uh, supported her going to graduate school at Duke in uh, health education. And she became a uh, trainer of trainers for Kaiser. Okay. And she and her husband were trying, they lived within walking distance of our little home in um, Pinole, California. Okay. And um, um, we helped them buy a little home and the, there was no front yard, it was just weeds. So I volunteered to become the volunteer ga- gardener. Okay. I'm always up every day at 4, 4.35 in the morning. And uh, so they had been trying to get pregnant, weren't getting pregnant, decided that they better go the medical route when she got pregnant. Right. That so happens then, a lot. That happens a lot. I'm telling you, the brain does weird things, but go ahead. The body and the brain. So, and- <laughs> so she ends up having a preemie baby. Okay. And since I'm up early, I volunteer to become, uh, to take the first shift okay. early in the morning. And I was immediately captivated by this young man. Um, okay. um, he, uh, he was just, in, in, I don't know, amazing little right. guy. And that started our relationship. And I, after uh, several months, I decided, well, I'm going to write down a few notes on a piece of paper uh, to share with the family at Christmas time uh, about my observation of this little guy. And, um, Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, then I thought after a while, no, that's not a good idea. I think I'll write a book about him. And then after a while, that, that idea went out the window. And finally, I decided to write him letters that he would read someday when he was getting ready to go away uh, to college or to the military or to his first job. Uh, and uh, since we're basketball people, Thomas Sherry, uh, Golden State Hall of Fame uh, player, Golden State Warrior Hall of Fame. Right. Um, he, um, um, now I forgot what I was going to say about Tom's comment, but he pointed out that the book clearly is for all teenagers, young women and young men, as they are about to leave home. And, okay. and so I started uh, to write letters to him that he would read someday as a young person. And uh, you want to hear the rest of the story, how it got published? I, I can do that real quick. Yeah, I would love to hear that. I would love so, to hear that. Yeah. Rick Wolf, who many of your people might know who right. listen to your podcast. Yeah. Um, his dad was the Vin Scully of baseball prior to Vin Scully in the East Coast. <laughs> and, uh, Rick um, and I had started a relationship um, I had forgotten um, that Rick, in the heyday of the publishing world, had been a, a sports editor for a number of big publications, but we'd done a couple of projects together on sports parenting. Okay. And so I picked up the phone to call him. He's in New York. I'm in California to ask him about self-publishing. And Rick says, well, what do you have, George? And I said, well, I got a couple letters. <laughs> I was a little embarrassed. But anyway, uh, he said, well, send them to me. So I, sometime later, I don't know, less than a week, maybe he calls me back or 
and says, Georgie, do you have any more letters? And I said, well, I'm writing one every several weeks. He says, well, send them to me. So a month later, and I hear from him, or maybe it's not quite that long. And he says, do you mind if I show these letters to somebody who can tell us if they have any commercial value? And I said, Rick, you know, I don't even know how to spell the word commercial. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's the farthest thing from my mind. Right. So sometime after that, um, Post Hills Press uh, came back and wanted to publish it. They worked with Simon & Schuster. Simon & Schuster is selling and distributing the book. So whereas I've never uh, made a penny any book I've ever written, and I've written a couple on basketball and other right. subjects, um, I've now considering putting together a trust for my grandkids to get the proceeds from this book. <laughs> well, that's an awesome, that's a great idea. Um, yeah. No, I think it's like, so it's, it's, it's like life lessons. You're basically, there's life lessons um, that here's, here's, it's what we were talking about before. It's like, you're the advice. You're not trying to tell them how to live their lives. You're giving them advice that hopefully make their lives easier. You know, well, the, the theme of the book and the title of the book um, here it is. Uh, if your readers will notice, yep. it, it's gifts from a grandson. Right. Uh, yeah. It's not about what I do for him. It's what he's done for me. And the whole story um, is that he, I, when I started writing this book, had been diagnosed for a CLL, chronic lymphomic leukemia. I'm on two pills of chemo a day, and I'd had some heart surgery and a melanoma taken out of my arm. And basically this kid's given me a, a chance to really enjoy right. life. <laughs> right. And how, how old, how old? He will be three in January. Okay. <laughs> that's a, that's a great age. I'm telling you, I, I, my, I have a 17 year old and a 19 year old. I think the magic window is somewhere between three and like nine, you know, they, the sun will rise and set on you at that age. It's like, and because it's like, they're trying to figure out the world. Um, I just think that's, so give me, give me a summary of one of the letters. Like, tell me, so, so the people that are listening would get a sense of, you know, how is, how the book is broken up, what they would get. And, and before I do that, is it available on audible? Um, I don't know. It, they, it's, I think it's going to be, I don't know if it is, it's available by, on Kindle already. On Kindle, it's, okay. okay. It's already also in bookstores, or okay. if you ask the bookstore, that's always helpful. Yep, that yep, and I'll put a link, all. I'll put a link down below, so wherever people are listening, they can just click on it, probably, yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm sitting on the Amazon page right now on my computer, so I can, I'll just link that, that's easy too, but it is on, I see it's paperback and Kindle and, and that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, so give me a summary, so, so tell Tell people specically, like, what, how, how are the, cha are there chapters? Or are they just letters? Or how there's are they? A, how is there's it a, there are 11 letters. Okay. And um, the first letter is about, um, after the introduction, is about our connectability. So how we connected in that story. And, um, you know, the thing that struck me about him right off the bat, how curious he was, how he was always on the go. Um, very early in life, I learned the difference between childlikeness and childishness. And he, what child is the difference? Childlikeness is open to new experiences, always ready for a new opportunity, moving on to the next thing enthusiasm, directness, simplicity, trust, 
Um, whatever's next, I'm for it. Joy at what he does. Whereas childishness tends to be what we talk about is immaturity and uh, not listening. And uh, um, this kid had a joy for life. This kid was always up and ready to go. And um, so I think that the, you're interesting what you just said about three to nine, but I think we could extend that, you know, as long as we keep supporting the child likeness in young people. Right. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, it's kind of a biblical concept too, that child likeness is celebrated as, as, as a very worthwhile, beautiful concept. Yes. It is. It is. The world is just this huge, like, yeah, that's this huge thing. And it's like, uh, time is so long for them at that age too. It's like, um, I try to tell my students, I said, as you get older, time speeds up and I go, it doesn't time is constant. It's like a, it's like a number line. But I said, I, I tell them always go back and remember when you were in elementary school, didn't those summer days feel really long? And they go, yeah, they really did. What happened, Mr. Collins? I go, well, it's number of days you've been alive over, you know, it's perspective. And as you get older, your perspective, it's more days that you've experienced. Um, when you're three, you've only experienced a thousand days. Like everything is new. Um, and it's that, it's that growth mindset. It's that like, how is the world kind of coming around? Um, so that's great. 11 letters. That's um, And they all talk about a different topic. Well, yeah. The first one is connectivity um, about play, the concept of play. Right. Because for him, it was about a profit, about a pro process. For me, it was about performance. Right. So he helped me understand uh, the difference. And uh, we want our athletes to perform, but we want the, them to focus on the process and to stay in the moment and not be always uh, off on the performance part of it. Then curiosity, and uh, then about energy. Where does his energy come from? So what <laughs> I do is I start every letter about having a, a brief observation about him and, and how he has triggered this topic. Then we go on to how do, how do you learn? Everybody learns a little bit differently and needs to be in charge of their own learning. And we talk about positivity. We talk about friendships. We talk about handling mistakes. We talk about uh, being yourself. And uh, so we move along through kind of a progression uh, to the last uh, 11th chapter, which is my gift to him, which is kind of a fun, exciting one. Yeah, no, I think, it, I think at that age too, it's like, I try to, when I tell, try to tell my players too, it's like, I want you to make mistakes because in life we learn from our mistakes. It's like, it's almost like this anti-mistake world we live in, in some respects. It's like everything I've ever done in teaching or my business or parenting or stuff. It's like you make a mistake and you learn from it and then you become better at it the next time it happens. Like, um, or maybe it doesn't happen again, but um, you see that in that, in the small, you see that in small young kids a lot, like they, whatever didn't yeah, work. Exactly. Yeah. So life, lifeblood of learning, mistakes yeah. are the lifeblood of learning. You, I think, obviously, as people have pointed out, uh, you learn more from your mistakes than you do from your successes. Right. No. And it's like, I, I don't, I got to find this study because I talked about this with another coach, I remember. But like, if you put a bunch of kids in a sandlot and they're playing baseball and there's like 
18 kids, they'll make it even. They'll make they'll make rules to make it a fair game because it's no fun to not be fair. <laughs> you know, if one team's winning a baseball game 12 to nothing, that's no fun. So they make rules. They they figure out the world like, ooh, how do we make this so it's more even, so it's more fun? Because it's no fun if one team's winning all the time or it's not competitive. Um, well, that triggers kids. the nonprofit that, that I developed and have been working on for 12 years, um, lead to play. Okay. And kids learn to be leadership leaders by being leaders. But the whole idea behind that, as well as this book, is that that which we create, we tend to support. So before COVID started, I, as part of Lead to Play, I created a curriculum, the student-led PE program. Junior high school and high school kids, you know, tend not to like PE. Right. Okay, turn the PE class over to them creating their own PE class program. Right then they'd have to go to the administration. So they have that experience of negotiation with the administration. They have to meet the state requirements or advocate for their change or whatever. But that which we create, we tend to support. That's why I don't want it to end at nine. I want us to support their creation uh, and their development uh, and taking responsibility. I think the big word I'm talking about is ownership. Kids today, as ever have forever, need a voice, a choice, a responsibility. You don't teach responsibility; you experience responsibility. And uh, Amen. so, anyway, yes. that's kind of where I'm coming from. I love that. I love that. Okay, so in closing, here's what I. This is always the. This is always my last question on the podcast: Is do you have a bit of advice for a young coach? Like, like what, actually, let me reword that. Do you, what would you tell your younger self? What advice would you give your younger self? What Shut would, up and listen. <laughs> <laughs> and and well, why? Anyway, why? I don't, maybe that was a little smart alecky. But, no, I love but, that. I love that. So why? No, I'm uh, a big, why, why, why did you say because that? Because I think learning relationships communication all start where the other person's at not where where you're at now i'm not saying you don't have a lot to offer as a parent or a grandparent or a coach or a teacher or a boss you have a lot to offer that's not the issue i think parents are very very well-meaning coaches are well-meaning but the methodology to get your point across is to be on the same turf, to be to be in the same place that the kid is, answering his or her questions, and 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 then following up by waiting for them to pull more out of you. So ideally, you know, I think you could throw a bunch of kids in a gym, and and lock the door, and they'd create their own basketball team. And probably do pretty doggone well. Yeah, they would. They would. They would. I think that's a great bit of advice. All right, I will put. Um, I will put the um, the book down below in the show notes for everybody, so that they can, so you can find it. And George, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on. Um, this was this was a great way to spend a uh, a Sunday morning. So I appreciate it. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank. 
everybody. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you want to hear other podcasts by Coach Collins, go over and check out High School Hoops and Teacher Side Gig. And then go over and subscribe to all of them and leave all of them five-star reviews. That would be great. Um, and then if you have 30 seconds after that, go over and check out teachhoops.com for coaches who want to get better. Have a great day. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.